0: Hello everybody and welcome, you are listening to Inside the Glass, the original Southern Arizona hockey podcast. I am your host Rob Lianio, joined by Eric Clock. as has been the case for the last couple years. Um, this is the first episode we have of the off-season, and actually first episode in over a month. Uh, we wanted to try to do as many episodes as we could before, but you know, U of A graduation and post-graduation... Job preparation came into play, so both Eric and I were quite unavailable for quite a bit, but glad to be back. Um, first of all, we do want to say since it's been over a month, or whatever, how long it's been since our last episode, we just a lot of things happened in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're not going to go into it because you know that's all old news, but we do want to say congratulations to the St. Louis Blues on winning the Stanley Cup, a well deserved. Uh, championship after 52 years of waiting, you know, I'm pretty sure it was an ecstatic feeling for everyone there in St. Louis. So um, we're going to go ahead and talk about a lot of things that are happening this off season. Uh, we are going to essentially try to put in as much information to you guys as off season preparation as possible. So we're going to have to talk about a lot of different things, um, separating probably into four episodes-ish within the next 10 days, maybe a little bit more, depending on what we can fit in, what needs to be talked about. But today, we have a schedule set for you, and we're going to start talking with local news, and that is regarding the Arizona Coyotes have a new majority owner, Alex Morello, has purchased a 95% stake in the Arizona Coyotes um, and it was approved by the NHL Board of Governors as of Wednesday, and unanimously. Yeah, unanimously, because you know they knew that's going to be needed. Um, uh, it's going to close next month, so next in in July. But Eric, what do you think? Just overall, your you just. What was your initial thoughts when the uh, it was announced?
1: I was really happy to hear it, you know, because I think that the. Uh the old ownership group really did the best that they could with the limited funds that they had, but it was always clear that they didn't quite have as much money as they should to, you know, properly manage an NHL team to, you know, allow them spend as much money as they need to, uh, to get the arena situation sorted out. Um, I just think that the, the new flow of cash in the organization is nothing but good for the coyotes. You know, it'll help the road runners out obviously too, um maybe the coyotes are going to have more money to bring veteran guys in and prospects will be able to stay in tucson longer and develop better perhaps all kinds of implications what do you think rob
0: before uh, we get
1: I, into it a little more
0: you know i i'm actually really glad again it happened um I, I the initial thought that i was uh that came to my head is when i saw the news that he bought a 95 percent stake i was like oh that's interesting that's a lot but oh uh, no but in general, though, I, th- I think it's going to be a good thing for the Coyotes. There's going to be a lot of uh, – you can probably see a lot more spending come into play, and uh, one of the things that I want to see mostly is what this means for the future of their arena situation.
1: Yeah, that's really what I want to see too. Um, there's still a lot of empty land. Ideally, I like I've said many times before, I think that it should either be in South Scottsdale, downtown Tempe, or downtown Phoenix – Um, But like Gary Bettman said, they cannot and they will not stay in Glendale, the Coyotes, Um, because, you know, if they stay out in Glendale, it's only a matter of time before the organization um, just can't sustain staying in the state anymore. So um, hopefully, uh, Alex, I mean, I think that they are going to need some public funding to build the arena. I think that an interesting partner that perhaps they could uh, try to work with are. Possibly the the Salt River Indian Reservation. I know that the Diamondbacks recently got approval from the uh, Maricopa County uh, Board. Is it the council? The county council. Right. um, That they're allowed to move. They're going to be moving out of Chase Field soon. And they're exploring new options for an arena. And uh, a lot of people are saying that the Diamondbacks are going to move out to the Salt River Indian Reservation, which borders uh, South Scottsdale. So, I mean, maybe – I know that a hockey team and a baseball team can't share an arena, but maybe the Coyotes and the Diamondbacks could collaborate on, like, an entertainment district.
0: A, you uh, know? a plot of land, short of, so to – yeah, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, what's interesting, and I don't know what can be used here, but I'll, I'll say this, for example, is um, – I was kind of looking on maps to kind of see where a potential place would work. And yeah, there is this area near South Scottsdale at, on the Salt River Indian Reservation. This is where it's like a um it's a big plot of empty land and I think only a small port- portion of it is used for the
1: um they have a casino there. They have top golf yeah,
0: um Yeah, but I like I'm I'm looking a little bit more southeast like it's essentially just slightly north of the uh salt river oh it's a big plot of yeah, land yeah. that phoenix rising is using um and that would be a really good spot there's a lot more um, empty land it's across from oceanside arena actually too which is where the asu plays um and you can think of you know if maybe chase field can put a spot that or the new or i mean not not chase field but the diamondbacks can move from chase, uh, from chase field to over there and then uh the Coyotes can probably get a plot of land there. They can share a parking spot space, and it's a and again, as you said, like it's like an entertainment district. It's where a lot right. of things can happen there. It'd be well pretty the cool.
1: huge the huge. That's actually an excellent location to build the arena. And you remember that arena deal that they uh, announced back in 2016? You remember when the Coyotes said they were going to build an arena with ASU? Yes, that's exactly where they said they were going to build it. So. Maybe if the Diamondbacks and them could get some sort of deal going with um, with somebody to build the land to build on that land there, uh, it would be really good. I don't know if that's the Indian Reservation or if that's Tempe or Scottsdale. It it's is one of the three. I
0: think part of that plot is Scottsdale. The other part is the Indian Reservation. That's weird because yes. it's on the
1: other side of the one hundred and one, but it's in a really good location too because. You're right at the intersection of the 101 and the 202, so it's going to be easy access for pretty much everyone from the East Valley. And you're just right?
0: you're, you're you're you know a really close distance away from ASU's campus, which where a lot of people are. Um, right,
1: and you have all the bars and everything along um, like Mill Avenue and Tempe. Uh there's a lot of uh, condos, a lot of uh high density urban living out there, so that's good. And not to mention and then you this have, is the you have South Scottsdale too, all the bars and clubs there also just a really short distance away.
0: Yeah, and not to mention this is the area where um most of the hockey fans are. Like
1: Right. Right. You're pretty much right in the center of it. It's also close to the center of population for the whole Phoenix area. Um, Because more of the population lives in the East Valley than the West Valley. So you're probably pretty close to the geographical center of uh, the Phoenix area. Because if I'm thinking about it, like from where I'm at in uh, Cave Creek, that's where I live right now. um, It would take me about 30 minutes to get there with no traffic, like 40 with, not bad. Um, And then somebody coming from Gilbert, it would be about the same or or from like Owituki, Chandler even closer, anywhere in Tempe or South Scottsdale would be super close, Mesa. So um they they really would be able to draw on a much bigger fan base and a much bigger hockey fan base than they would in Glendale, no question about it.
0: Absolutely. I, that's that's something that everyone wants. It's what I found funny is that um some people were talking about, okay, they have the new owner, now they can start focus on relocation to Houston. And you and I were talking about before Uh, before we started recording this podcast episode, is now that the fact that Alex Morella purchased it, it seems likely that probably won't happen because not only... The guy has has
1: no ties to Houston. Yeah, he has
0: no ties to Houston. He's based out of Southern California. Um, But the, uh, the more interesting thing is he's already kind of said that he wants to try to make it work in the Phoenix area as best as he could. And so... Yeah, he's going to really work us really hard on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and if you're based out of uh, Southern California, you know, like we were saying over the show, uh, just before the show started, um, it's a really short plane flight over to Phoenix from L.A. So if you wanted to have a sports team close to where you live, uh, Phoenix isn't a bad place to have it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make much sense that they would move to Houston now because Gary Bettman has supported keeping the team in the Phoenix area for such a long time. Um, and I have a really hard time imagining that um, with this new owner, they would let them relocate to Houston so soon. I mean, maybe if the arena situation, God forbid, um, doesn't get itself worked out and the Coyotes just are forced to stay in Glendale and just can't do that anymore, then maybe – they would leave and go somewhere else but i think only after all of their options in the phoenix area are exhausted would they leave that's my opinion you
0: know and i don't, and i honestly don't think you'll get to that point because they have a lot of options and they just need to get they just need to find the right people to negotiate with and the um and just get something that everyone can be happy with
1: Yeah, okay, I'm looking at the municipal boundaries right now. I was looking it up. Uh, That plot of land we were discussing is all on the Salt River Indian Reservation. All right. So, yeah, for whatever that's worth. But I think that the Salt River Indian Reservation would be a good partner because they actually, too, um, recently they announced that they're building a gigantic resort on the Salt River Indian Reservation. So the Indians that manage that reservation are very receptive to uh, development and working with businesses because of how close they are to places like South Scottsdale and Tempe. So um, I would really like to see something like that work because um, yeah, like we were saying, they need to get out of there. Now, what do you think Rob about um, what it means for the Tucson road runners more specifically? Cause we've been mostly talking about the Phoenix area right now and uh, obviously we're hopeful that they're going to allow the coyotes to spend up to the cap the way that they need to. Cause the coyotes are a team that's, should be contending right now. They're at that life cycle as a team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but what do you think it means on a more specific level to for the Tucson Roadrunners?
0: There's a lot of there's, there's some interesting things that you can really think about how how this works. I think with the new ownership, it can maybe now focus on um, building new facilities down in Tucson because we know right now there is only one facility that can be used and that's the arena itself the tucson convention center it's it doesn't work in a lot of ways because you know you build a so if they build a new facility let's say a practice facility somewhere it can if you talk about like morning skate for example you know you can have teams can have morning skate at the same time one in the arena one in the practice facility um and just a bunch of different things a lot of more potential of just the growth of the sport it's not gonna there, mm-hmm. there's there's no going to be growth there will be no growth in the in the tucson area if they don't have any other facilities outside the arena and i've talked about that numerous times so I'm oh gonna, yeah
1: we've we've gone into it quite a bit I mean, and I actually did a, uh, a project on this not that long ago, and to build a two-sheet facility, it would cost at maximum $7 million. The price estimate to build a two-sheet facility um, is between 5 and $7 million. So, um, I mean, if this guy has as much money as he does, Alex Morello, um i think that it would be a wise investment for him to invest in building a rink down here for the minor league club so they don't have to uh, drive up to scottsdale and practice or drive up to chandler and practice like they've had to do in the past um and it, it's and like you said it's nothing but good for the game down in tucson it's just going to help the game grow it's going to help the roadrunners uh draw more fans build more of a fan base um so, yeah, I think that that is should be the biggest thing that the Tucson Roadrunners specifically are looking for from this new owner is uh, building a, a permanent practice facility that they can use so they can really live, work, and train in Tucson year-round, you know?
0: Absolutely. Or
1: all season. Yeah.
0: Yeah, something that can be used all season. And if you think about it, it can be used as, um, as like, in the escape for the heat for public – the people for the public – it, Absolutely. You know, down here in tucson uh for example last wednesday um that's like you know now like nine days ago or whatever it was 108 brutal
1: uh, yeah that's that's brutal
0: so if if there was a public rink people can go out and ice skate inside they can escape the heat go in nice cool like cool uh, area like that would draw a lot of people and you know you have Hockey related stuff up there on the walls it shows the road runners, shows the coyotes, it gets more people interested in the sport. And, and you know, then going back to what my original statement was as growing the game,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, like I, I always said, because people would always be surprised to hear that I played hockey, uh, you know, growing up in Phoenix, that I played it for as many years as I did. And I always said the best thing about it was not having to practice when it was 115 outside in July. You know, you go to a nice climate controlled rink where it never gets much warmer than like 55 degrees. That's usually what they set the thermostats at. So, yeah, that's absolutely a good point. It's a great escape from the heat. It's a very nice sport to play, especially in Arizona summers. Um, free skating's awesome, too. So, yeah, no, I mean, the rink would make money probably i'd be surprised if it didn't
0: yeah i mean um, the interesting thing is cuz remember there used to be like um yeah there used to be facilities down in tucson this was you know a decade ago whatever but i from what i hear is the only reason why they closed is because they were poorly managed if these right. facilities are managed by the teams or like by the
1: Coyotes directly. What they should do, they should have it be Iceden Tucson because there's an Iceden Chandler and there's an Iceden Scottsdale, which yep. are both directly owned and operated by the Coyotes organization. and Absolutely. Of the Phoenix, yeah, of Phoenix area rinks, I would say that the Iceden Scottsdale, Iceden Chandler, are uh, mm. by far the two nicest rinks up here. So, like, an Ice Den Tucson would be really good for the community because usually what it has, right, is they'll have, like, a pro shop, like, a really nice restaurant and bar that, like, people always go to, like, while they're watching games. Oh, yeah. And and things like that. Yeah, it would be a really nice facility. So, like, an Ice Den Tucson would be just an absolute dream to have down there, you know?
0: Yeah, no, and, and, and it just overall makes the most sense um, just to get – just you know financially and manager managerially everything um it would be huge for tucson
1: yeah it would be um where would you put it
0: that's the big that's a big question because like uh, there really isn't much space in tucson at least right from what i can tell to build i mean i don't know
1: catalina foothills Oral Valley, Marana. I'd you, say one of those three,
0: somewhere's yes, like somewhere where you can, where you will find, you'll probably see more people. Um, I could probably see in that Marana area, um.
1: Somewhere along I ten would be the best, especially if you're going to have youth hockey out there, because there's my, not enough of a player base down here. And initially, the player base would have to travel up the road to Phoenix to play people. My guess. So along I ten would be best. My
0: guess would be like along I ten, but it would be west of I ten, like slightly west of I ten. On the
1: yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. I think it's nothing but good for the organization all around. Let's just look really quick at the um, the Coyotes' upspace space and see how much they have to spend.
0: Right now, I think I said I think I saw they have. Yes, they have. Uh, their projected cap right now is six point seven million dollars.
1: Yeah, it's not that much.
0: Not at all, and they have, but they do have uh, a roster size of twenty-one already. So, like, they have a roster. Like they right. have a full roster. It's just like question is, do they want to move contracts around? They want do, and you know get. Better, like, try to trade up for better players. What do they want to do? Like, that's,
1: I mean, maybe they should trade away Hosa's contract to somebody. Um, because they, the Dotsuk and Pronger deal, um, came off the books. Their contracts came off the books, which helps. Um, and then Calvin Pickard is a free agent. I don't think they'll resign him.
0: No, but there's no need to.
1: There's no need to. Um, I don't know. We'll see. So I think we can wrap up talking about the new owner. Why don't we talk about Hunter Miska, speaking of Coyotes goaltenders?
0: Yeah, um, this is an interesting one. Uh, It was announced just earlier this week from the Athletics' uh, Craig Morgan that multiple sources are pointing to the fact that the Coyotes aren't going to tender Hunter Miska a qualifying offer uh, because he is a pending RFA, it makes sense just be for the fact that there are a there's an incredible amount of death right now in the uh, Coyotes goaltender system. It's there's no need to have just to kind of keep pumping into it like that way. Like,
1: yeah, you don't need to keep uh, Merrick Madsen. I mean, uh, Merrick Madsen, Hunter Misca on board. I mean, Merrick Madsen still has a year left on his deal. Um, and he looked good in Tucson at the time when he was up playing in Tucson. It, there just wasn't enough space for him. So he had to play a lot of the year in the AHL. Um, but he did have back to back shutouts in one uh, homestand that I was at this year. So, I mean, he's a good goalie. And I think that you have to go, you have to give him a chance, especially considering that his um, contract is not going to expire for another year. Him, Aiden Hill, and Hunter Miska are all um, 23 years old right now. Uh, Madsen, Hill, and Miska. Yeah. So there's really no age considerations. I just think that, given that Madsen still has a year under his uh, of his contract left, Hill has been the go-to guy in Tucson from the get-go. Misca just unfortunately the guy that's the odd man out. Yeah.
0: Not to mention too is I believe they have a- another goaltender in the system. I'm trying to think.
1: Eric Calgren.
0: Um, that's not the one I was talking about. Um, the. A their last year's fourth round draft pick, um, I uh, was trying to see if I can pronounce his name. Uh, what country yeah, is he from? Ivan Pro, uh, Prospertov. Prospatov.
1: Okay, Russian.
0: Uh, yeah, um, he was drafted 114th overall. He's supposed to be not a good goaltender and he's going to be in the system because again he's that young. Uh, what right. We, what we see from him, we don't know because he, he's not. He he hasn't signed in, an ELC yet, but.
1: Well, goalie contracts are so weird too, Rob. As you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, goalie development is so weird. As you know, it definitely they definitely take the longest to develop out of every position. I mean, look at how long it took, um, what's his name, Jordan Binnington, to make it to the NHL and uh, get a starting job with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, the guy was um, on loan this year to Providence because the St. Louis Blues didn't have enough um, space for him in uh, San Antonio, their AHL affiliate. So I mean, goalie development is just such a crapshoot. It's just so weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, who knows? Maybe that guy will pan out. That's my only point.
0: Yeah, it's just like it's all about you know seeing how uh, seeing how it works. But again, that's just another reason why that they're not tendering an offer to Hunter Miska is because it's it's just it's just too much. Right it just now. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but you it's too- know, it's it, uh, he was a pretty good. Um, uh, tandem for an AHL goaltender like he I mean
1: I always thought that Hill was better between the two of them but yeah he was he was good he um he definitely did everything that he needed to do while he was in Tucson I mean this year though unfortunately he had 25 games played uh, 3.08 goals against average, 8.95 save percentage. So that's not spectacular for a goalie. He's below 900 in save percentage and above three goals against average.
0: Yeah, I will. So um, I actually have his entire AHL career stats up um, on my Five for Howling report because um, I. Averaged everything out. Um, I did the calculation. So I have in a 61 game AHL career, Miska recorded 32 wins with a 249 goals against average and an 898 save percentage.
1: Yeah, it's not spectacular. It's not. I mean, it's serviceable, but it's not spectacular. Yeah. Anything below 900 isn't spectacular.
0: I mean, let's also keep in mind, you know, he was a, he was an undrafted free agent. He signed. To, he
1: was, he was, and he'll find a job somewhere else, whether it's in the East Coast League or in another team's minor league organization, um, that, uh, some organization that still needs a goalie. I mean, who knows where he'll go.
0: Um, yeah, he'll be, he'll get picked up somewhere. It, he'll might get picked t- up somewhere. Um, and that's just, a, that's just the way it works here. And for goaltenders, it's, 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 it's a tough field out there
1: oh it's the toughest position to make it to the nhl and it's it's the hardest position to play in the sport um no question about it and uh yeah i mean i don't know it is what it is i mean i'm not surprised at all and it sounds like you aren't either
0: yeah like uh i I didn't realize he was an rfa until like a couple weeks ago and then uh i get because i just got distracted by a lot of things and i saw him like you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get an extension. Like
1: Well Hill is going to get re signed, no question about it. Oh yeah, it. no
0: question. Cause, um because they saw what he could do in the NHL. He's got that potential.
1: Right. Yeah, Hill's NHL stats aren't even bad this year. He played thirteen games, two seventy six goals against uh nine oh one save percentage. I'm looking on cap friendly right now. Yeah. For whatever reason on cap friendly, they don't show you wins, losses, and uh overtime losses, but let me look it up. How many wins did he have this year in Arizona? And honestly, he was playing pretty good with the Coyotes this year. Um, I just think that they thought it was better for his development to be the starting guy in Tucson than to uh, sit there and back up uh, Darcy Kemper it's, when they had Calvin Pickard in the organization, too.
0: I just absolutely love the fact that they keep that, uh, you know, a lot of experts are talking about, you know, seasoning players and everything like that, and, you know, like ourselves included, because. It's interesting when I hear um, a lot of fans from other teams. It's like, hey, why don't we put this player on our NHL team? Like, you don't want to do that. That would be stupid.
1: No. Um, it's, sometimes it's a lot better. In in many cases, in most cases, it's a lot better for guys to um, to get to play a bigger role in the AHL than it is for them to uh, get rushed to the NHL and play a role um, that they're not meant to play yet. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Because. I tell people, yes, this guy is gonna be great. He's gonna be a fantastic player when he's NHL ready. But he's not. Right. Gonna, he's never gonna be re- completely ready. When, for example, we're talking about a forward here. For example, if you p- slot him on the fourth line and keep him there, um, rather than if you put him on like the first line on in the American Hockey League, like.
1: Yeah, I mean, twenty minutes in the AHL is a lot better than eight or nine in the NHL. Exactly, just is. Um, and so this year I have the wins and losses for Hill in the NHL, uh, seven wins, five losses, one shutout in 13 games. So not bad at all. I mean, but he, uh, he got the playing time in Tucson instead. I mean, I don't think he's going to push, um, either Kemper or, um, Ronta during the year. I mean, but it remains to be seen how healthy each of those guys are going to be.
0: It's all about like an injury situation too. Like it's right.
1: That's what I mean. You
0: know, like it. Yeah. It's so if like Kemper or Ranta somehow go down, then you know you got to bring
1: then Hill's the next man up. Yeah. Yeah. And it
0: helps. And what that... do you think?
1: What do you think he gets signed to though? Um, I'd say around a mill, a million. He'll get that's... a raise for sure.
0: Yeah, he will get like like, um, yeah. I could I could see about a million dollar contract. Um, probably another. What do you think? Two, two years? Two three years?
1: Yeah, maybe like two year, two year, two and a half million dollars.
0: That sounds about fair. That sounds that seems like it would make sense.
1: Yeah, so that's a $1.25 million cap hit a year. Make sure the AHL salary is higher than it used to be, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes for him, though.
0: Yes, we um,
1: will. So do you think, is that really all we have to talk about with Misko, you think? or? I think so. All right, so let's move on to the NHL awards this year. We'll talk. We'll rifle through those briefly. Yeah,
0: we'll just say who won uh, and like if there's anything big that came out. Um.
1: Right. Um, well, Oliver Ekman Larson on the Coyotes thing was the only person nominated, and he was nominated for the King Clancy, which is just basically being a good guy in the community and really, um, being very engaged in like charity and things like that. You know. Yeah.
0: Um, and I know um, my Sharks had two people nominated. Neither of them won. That would be... Let's uh, see. So here's the complete result. So the uh, the MVPs will probably mention first. So if I, uh, the, Um. It's important
1: to note too that if you guys don't know, that votes are cast before the playoffs start. So the playoffs have no bearing whatsoever on these awards.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. there is no difference here. Okay, so the Hart Trophy... Winner, so the MV- league's MVP goes to uh, Nikita Kucherov. No surprise, no surprise. there. The Willie Owee Community Hero Award. Rico Phillips. Not even a player. What? I don't
1: even know what that award is. Yeah, I don't um, Norris Trophy Mark Giordano beat out um, Victor Hedman and Brent Burns um, I was a bit surprised at that to tell you the truth yeah. I thought that Burns would win
0: Yeah apparently it was a really close one um, But It was just uh, Yeah he, like, he just edged him out
1: um, Giordano had a fantastic year though Oh yeah he
0: was phenomenal um, and Then
1: Vasilevsky won the Vesna Over Robin Leonard and Ben Bishop yeah. I'm not surprised by
0: that one either Saw he was
1: won by Ryan O'Reilly over uh, Mark Stone and Patrice Bergeron.
0: Yeah, that was another big one. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly was a like like if like, and I even though we're saying playoffs don't even matter. If you saw the way he played in the playoffs, he was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I mean, after playing the way he did in the playoffs, I mean, you you would think he would get a nomination for the heart, but um, oh, the yeah. nominees and the votes are all cast before the playoffs start.
0: Um, um, Calder Trophy, uh, Elias Pedersen.
1: Over Deline and Bennington, nice. which I think is deserved. I um, think it's Bennington's
0: been Because yeah, Bennington played half a season. Yes, he kind of turned a team from, from worst the first. But Elias Pedersen, you know, he played an entire season, and he was cons- just consistently great.
1: Like, I thought Rasmus Deline had a really good rookie campaign in Buffalo, too. Um, I don't know how much Sabres hockey you watched over the course of the year, but I thought Deline was excellent in Buffalo so very well deserved nomination in a lot of cases too yeah um guys that are nominated are almost as good as the winner you know what i mean like it's just an honor to be nominated
0: oh yeah absolutely
1: just to rattle off that old cliche and then the art ross was won by default by nikita kucherov that's the scoring champion ted Lindsay award which is the most outstanding player as voted by other players the in players the league
0: association goes to kucherov. by the players
1: association right nikita kucherov
0: the uh Robin Leonard got the Bill Masterson Trophy.
1: Yeah, which is ded- dedication to the sport of hockey and perseverance. Basically, it's guys that overcome adversity and Le- and, and uh, Robin, continue playing at a high level.
0: Yeah, Robin Leonard um recognized for his uh, adversity co- co- uh, overcoming mental health problems, alcoholism, uh, alcoholism too. stuff like that. He he just barely eked out uh Joe Thornton, who was coming off you know multiple seasons of knee surgeries and stuff like that, but... Yep, know, and definitely.
1: then Lady Bing Trophy, which is basically the most gentlemanly player in the league. Highest It's like the Sportsmanship Award. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Barkov won that. Um
0: General Manager of the Year, Don Sweeney.
1: Yep. Uh, Jack Adams Award, Barry Trotz. Um... First team all-star this year. First all-star team was John Carlson, Victor Hedman, Patrick Kane, Alex Ovechkin, and Nikita Kucherov.
0: Huh.
1: Wayne Simmons won the Mark Messier Leadership Award. I'm surprised at that.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. He wasn't even there at the award ceremony.
1: No. Um, I, I would have thought Justin Williams or Mark Giordano would have won that.
0: I would have. I, I probably would have uh, banked on Justin Williams getting it, but
1: yeah, I agree. Um, Don Sweeney, uh, general manager of the Boston Bruins, won um, GM of the Year, like you said earlier, and then all rookie team this year was Anthony Ciarelli, uh Rasmus Deline, Jordan Bennington, Brady Kachuk, Mira Heiskanen, and Elias Patterson. No surprise there. So, here you go. There's your NHL awards. I mean, most of these guys, you could have guessed who was going to win the award. The the big one that stuck out to me was the Messier award for sure. Um, And then I was a bit surprised to the Norris a little bit. I mean, but Giordano is very deserving also.
0: Absolutely. Um, Okay. So, okay. Um, I guess real quick, just because it was announced, also something maybe I could just briefly mention sure. is uh, is a Scottsdale native Austin Matthews is, is it, was announced to be the uh, the cover man of the next NHL video game, NHL twenty.
1: Yeah, did you see the trailer?
0: Yeah, he was talk. He was talking about a about being a a guy coming out of Arizona who chose hockey over you know all the other sports. And he's like, why? He's like, why not?
1: Why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a good trailer. It was a good trailer. I always liked Austin Matthews cuz he did actually make it to the league from Arizona. I mean, you used to hear all the time when you were a kid playing out here that no guys ever going to make it from Arizona. That an Arizonan could never make it to the league and the first one that does goes first overall and wins the Calder trophy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've always really liked Austin Matthews for that reason.
0: Absolutely. I'm 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 it might get me to try to buy a NHL 20. I've gotten like every single one since I got in like 17, 18, 19, and now 20. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm a fan of the franchise.
1: I am too. I am too. Um, so, yeah, now we can talk about the massive contract that Eric Carlson was handed. Yeah, this was um, uh, early. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Yeah,
0: so this this happened early this week. Uh, I woke up to this um, that uh, Eric Carlson signed an extension with the San Jose Sharks. At an eight-year, ninety-two million-dollar contract with an average annual value of eleven point five million dollars, so it's the becoming the uh, most, the third most paid player in the NHL, the most paid defenseman in the NHL, and of course the most paid shark in team history. Uh, big contract. Nice.
1: Big contracts. I mean, people for a long time were saying that he was going to make at least as much as Dowdy does, and Dowdy makes $11 million a year. Um, and, but, Dowdy's AAV is $11 million a year, so now he just edges out Dowdy by a little bit.
0: What I found interesting, though, about this contract is uh, the initial shock value was for me is, um, as a Sharks fan and just as a hockey fan in general was in the short-term, you know, short-term viewpoint, You know, looking at it now, that's could be too much because of the fact that he was injured last year. It might be uh, too much term, I would say, because you don't know. But you kind of have to. But yeah, if you want to lock a
1: guy like Eric Carlson up, you have to give him that much term and that much money. It's just yeah. kind of what you have to – it's the cost of doing business.
0: That's the argument I was making to a lot of other people when I was – and this was even a couple of weeks ago, even though I had that initial shock value. I, and I'm like, uh, yes, Carlson is a priority to, for the Sharks to resign. Because this is a generational talent. You just can't let go. You have to re-sign a guy like him because he's the best defenseman in the league. and
1: Surefire Hall of Famer. Yeah, he's going to
0: command a lot of money, and he's going to be worth it. Yes, it is going to be at the expense of one of these Sharks' core guys for the next season. But it could work if Doug Wilson is smart. And he started working on it, too. Did you see what he did the next day?
1: Um, what did he do? Sorry.
0: Um, yeah, uh, traded away Justin Braun to the yes, Philadelphia Flyers I, that alleviated I, uh, $3.8 million of cap space just right there.
1: Yeah. And I saw something really funny on Instagram about that. Some, uh, joke like Instagram page that I followed was saying that the sharks basically traded five career fights for zero career <laughs> fights. It justin braun I, I got a little chuckle out of that. um, but yeah, no, that's that's good. You got to clear cap space, right? And the the Sharks, I think, have even more work to do. I mean, they only have fifteen million dollars,
0: and um,
1: they have. I'll let you run through it. I mean, yeah, you have so, Kevin LeBanc,
0: um, yeah. So the Jonas Donskoy, yeah. The biggest guys they had to focus on. I don't know say in tor- in terms of importance to you know just leftover guys is uh, Joe Pavelski, Timo Meyer, Kevin LeBlanc. Uh, Jonas Donskoy, um, Dylan Gambrell, Joachim Ryan, Tim Heed. Um, lots of guys to focus on and um, if I'm Doug Wilson, you gotta you gotta be very I yeah, gotta be very, very careful with what I'm gonna what I'm gonna be doing next in these next couple of days. Now Jonas Donskoy has already said that he's gonna interview with other teams and he's not le- and he's not closing the door on the sharks. If I'm Jonas Donskoy, I'm walking because I know I'm not going to get enough money from the Sharks. Um, right. Timo Meyer, on the other hand, because he is an RFA, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of interesting things that can go down this route. If I'm Doug Wilson, offer a bridge deal with Timo Meyer and tell him, like, yes, you're going to get less money now for two years, but two years from now, because we will have more space, you will get a big contract. And know that's going to happen because, like, because we sign a bridge deal now, we can we can bring back Joe Thornton, can bring back Joe Pavelski, and can bring back Kevin LeBanc, all of them, and go for a big cup run again.
1: Right, and Meyer is going to be a huge part of the core going forward. He's only 22 years old. Um, one of the maybe is he the he is the youngest guy on the team. I almost said one of the youngest on the team. He is the youngest guy on the team.
0: Dylan Gambrell was close, but um, ac- no, he's actually a couple – he's about a – yeah, a little over – Meyer is a little over a month younger than Dylan Gambrell. Okay.
1: But do you think he stays? Is, yeah. I mean, Gambrell is a guy that goes back and forth between the AHL quite frequently.
0: Gambrell is going to sign like a – he's going to get a qualifying offer and just going to get sent down to the AHL um, probably.
1: Yeah, exactly. So – like he's the youngest guy that's a roster regular and a big part of like the Sharks' core.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be more trades happening in the next week or so, so the Sharks can make more cap room.
1: Yeah, who would they get rid of though? Um, Melker Carlson. Melker maybe Car-
0: Melker Carlson has been a talked about a moving, uh, moving part. Um,
1: because that's two million dollars of cap space. There's only one year left on his deal. Yeah, uh, he has no no movement clause, and a um, two million dollars is a very palatable price for another GM to uh, take on. You absolutely. know what I mean? Absolutely.
0: Um,
1: so I feel like that's a good trade candidate for sure. You're not trading Hurdle. Hurdle was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. For the Sharks this year.
0: Absolutely. Hurdle is going to be off limits. Like, there's no way. Um, so yeah, like, he was the only one that makes sense. Uh, I wouldn't trade away any of any more of our defensemen. Well, you
1: really can't. I mean, uh, Mark Edward Vlasic has a no-movement clause. So does Carlson. Well, obviously yeah. you're not trading Carlson Cause or right, Burns.
0: Because right now, the Sharks do have a lot of left, left-handed left defensemen right now. They have four left-handed defensemen on contract. Jacob Middleton is one of them, but he's going to be in the Barracuda. So that makes that three. So you have Vlasic, Dylan, and Simic are the left-handed defensemen. That means they need a right-handed defenseman. And who is that going to be? It's going to be Tim Heade. So there's not, there's that, that's literally all they have. Like, so don't. De- well, you're
1: going to need you're going to need some cheap, low end guys in the bottom three of your defensive core, because I mean, if you're spending 11 million on Carlson, eight on Brent Burns, and seven on uh, Vlasic, um,
0: Tim, I'm going to
1: have to be cheaper with the other guys.
0: My guess is they, uh, is of course, Milton gets sent down. And Tim Heed signed a one year one point five million dollar contract.
1: Alright, that's not bad. So okay, so you have your you have your def- defense figured out then. Uh, is there anyone in the minor league organization on D that could fill in, do you think?
0: In the current minor league organization, Jacob Middleton right now is there, but again, he is a left handed defenseman and that's already like that's that's no problem right now. So if we're looking at a right handed defenseman. Kyle uh, Wood. Kyle Wood, uh, he's not. No, FA. I'm joking. Yeah. He, he doesn't have the
1: skating to make um, it in the NHL.
0: Okay, here is one guy who's a potential, but he has not played any any bit. He probably played a very very small amount in the AHL because like as going into the Calder Cup playoffs, and because uh, he played most of his last year in the um, in the juniors, and that's Ryan Merkley. Uh, I don't think they will, he will go up. He is too young right now. He is too unseasoned. That's just not.
1: Oh, he's 18. No, yeah. they're going to give him, they'll give him a chance to, uh,
0: to season in get the Get a little AHL. bit more
1: ripe. Yeah.
0: Or he can't even go in the AHL yet. He'll, he'll go back to um, the juniors, season some more and then. Let's
1: see. And he's also slide contract eligible. So if he doesn't play more than nine games in the NHL, his ELC gets extended out for another year, and I can't imagine the Sharks not doing that. Yeah,
0: one. You know? Yeah, one potential moving target people can, uh, some people can see as a possibility here, is moving Aaron Dell out as the backup goaltender and just bringing up their uh, the AHL goaltender Yusuf Karanar.
1: Well, that's actually that actually brings up a good question. What do you guys do about goal? Because I mean, people have been talking about martin jones and him not being a good starting guy going forward
0: martin jones anywhere is a starting goaltender he's just inconsistent and that's been talked about you just saw the way he played in the in the playoffs and he started yeah, off he'd have
1: one brilliant game and one real stinker it's kind of he would kind of alternate yeah like i think that i think yeah i don't know he wasn't good in the vegas series but he was good in the colorado series yeah
0: i mean he was good in the latter part of the vegas series games like five six and seven sure but oh
1: yeah no especially six
0: especially six um especially six anyways another thing i should mention and i think this is like maybe the last bit we'll talk about when it comes to like what carlson's contract now means for the sharks is the uh performance bonus that hit the sharks just after, after the awards were announced um the sharks now carry over a uh a bonus penalty bonus overage penalty of six hundred and sixty thousand dollars it's not a lot you know it's under a million dollars but it can it makes a difference of maybe about one contract um when it comes to cap space that's how it goes sometimes um, that's just something I just thought it should be mentioned um but that's what you know that's what that's what's there yeah. But it's going to be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what the, what the next year brings for the Sharks with Eric Carlson now on free. A- they're going to have
1: an interesting offseason. I mean, they're going to be an interesting team to watch over uh, the next couple of days, over the next week or so. Um, or 10 days. 10 days, yeah. Because we're waiting for July 1st. Um, so let's talk about the rule changes now. Rattle through those. There were a <laughs> bunch of rule changes after a very controversial postseason. Yeah. Um, so cough, here, cough if, I'll yep, I'll lead in with um, a few of the less controversial ones. So now if a team about to go on the power play ices the puck, that team will still begin the man advantage with the offensive zone faceoff, um, which is interesting. I mean, I think that's fine if anything that type of rule is just there to uh try to make the game higher scoring and more offensive mm-hmm. that's all that that's really there it, just to boost offense slightly you know not have to make the the power play team uh waste time with a zone entry i think that's the only goal of that rule wouldn't you agree
0: oh yeah it's 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 a very harmless penalty there's not there's like it's just like you know what that's just Let's go. give him
1: an offensive zone face-off, see if we get a few more pucks in the back of the net after that. Yeah. So then another rule that seems to be there to uh, boost offense is also one now. So if a team knocks off the net accidentally or on purpose, it does not matter, leading to a play stoppage, they will not be allowed to change lines. So it'll be similar to how icing is now, where the icing team cannot change a line.
0: You know, um, I, like, and... I like that just the fact just because of the fact that, you know, like – some people, because I have seen in, in the case in several games, you where, see it all the time. Yeah, where, where where it's especially deliberately done, just to stop the play. So like, and right, yeah, I, the
1: goalie can't get a whistle, so they knock the net off. Yeah,
0: I've been upset by that several times, but that's, you know, another right. And then that.
1: after the net gets knocked off, and the uh, and the defending team cannot change their line the opposing team will be able to pick which offensive zone circle they want to use with the ensuing faceoff. So like if you're me and Rob were talking about this before the show, um, if it's a right or a left-handed centerman, you can choose which side favors him more. If he wants to get the puck on the net right off of the face off or something. Um, or if he's stronger on certain side, taking draws, or if you have a guy like Alex Ovechkin, um, and you're like playing on the power play, and you want to get it to him on the um, right point. You would pick a face off the right face off circle. So, I mean, the left point you would pick the right face off circle.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So he's right in the center of the ice. So um, another one that's supposed that's there to try to boost off in slightly. So here's the. Uh, another rule change if a goalie knocks off the net on a breakaway it'll it will result in an automatic goal for the attacking team that's interesting
0: that's uh i want to say that's that's, that's a rule that uh, that has been applied after something that happened with boston last year during the regular season um if i'm not mistaken i can't remember what game that was but i remember hearing something like that happened where it just like you know put it off and then yeah, I'm
1: okay with that rule. Also, I mean, um, if you can't if you can't keep the net, you know, in position, and you're an NHL goalie, you shouldn't be in the goal. You shouldn't be yeah. a goalie in the NHL. Um, so that's fine. So if a shot on goal, here's another one. If a shot on goal from outside the red line results in a frozen puck, there will be no line change allowed. Um, oh, interesting. So if you just shoot the puck right on the net.
0: Oh, so, if, so if, an attack, if an attacking team just tries to, like... uh, uh like A defending sh- team. Or if it's a defending team tries to just...
1: Throw the puck all the way to the other side. They just shoot it right on goal, right? Like, imagine a, d- a team in the defensive zone shooting the puck right on goal, and if it's frozen by the other team's goaltender, after that shot came at that goaltender from the defensive zone they won't be allowed to change lines so So it'll function like an icing
0: huh okay
1: that's yeah and then okay so we're about to get into the real juicy stuff right here we just have one more less consequential but interesting rule change so here's uh the last one before we get into all the penalties that (laughs) resulted from i mean the rule changes that resulted from uh controversy around the postseason so okay so a player who loses his helmet will have to go to the bench or put the helmet back on properly before participating in play. The only exception is an immediate play on the puck. If a helmetless player makes a play on the puck, it will result in a minor penalty. I don't like that rule.
0: It. I mean, I can see what they're trying to do when increasing player safety, but at the same time, that's like, all it's for. That's all it's. That's all it's for. Um, you. That's as, assessing a penalty. I don't think is the right way to go with this
1: you know what it, it sounds way too subjective to me that's what i really don't like about it um because i mean the only exception is an immediate play on the puck i mean but how do you define an immediate play on the puck it is would it, be pretty subjective is it you know? half a if second it, if is
0: it... like two seconds like
1: because i mean you could really break up a play really bad if a guy just has to rush to the bench to go get his helmet back yeah you know what i mean um or bend down on the ice to pick his helmet up and put it back on i i just think that you're going to get controversial calls from this rule you're going to get controversy from this rule it's going to be really clunky if you know what i mean by that right i think and and it will create controversial calls so i'm not a fan of it
0: yeah we'll see if how that gets enforced It's it will be really weird
1: yeah that's going to be a weird one okay so here's the juicy ones a co- the coach's challenge will be expanded to include reviews for black and white missed calls that should have resulted in a stoppage hand passes pucks and netting high sticks before goal in the offensive zone. So that's like the Boston and St. Louis rule. You remember that goal in uh, in game five where uh, St. Louis scored the game winning goal um, right after they clearly tripped a guy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Not only like that's what
1: that's for. Not
0: only that, but also going to San Jose, St. Louis, the they keep the Timo Meyer rule with the hand pass, or go, yeah, uh, or going to the Vegas series of San Jose, the uh, the high stick. Like,
1: huh? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. All those. The high stick with Vegas. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's all for too. So,
0: all of um, them are now being able to be challenged by the coach.
1: But here's the interesting thing the coach's challenges now carry more heavy penalties. So, any unsuccessful coach's challenge, any and every unsuccessful coach's challenge, doesn't matter what it is, will result in a minor penalty for delay of game. A second unsuccessful challenge will result in a double minor. Interesting. So you can't just have guys challenging stuff left and right. It has to be pretty blatant is what they're trying to say here, which I'm okay with. If you're going to expand the coach's challenge, I think that you have to make the penalties for unsuccessful challenges greater. Otherwise, and, we're just going to slow down the game way too much reviewing everything.
0: And I'll take it. You know, that makes sense.
1: Because I mean I think when they introduced the coach's challenge and you only lost your timeout for losing out on the coach's challenge it wasn't enough of a penalty because I never thought that timeouts were that useful in hockey.
0: Yeah, there was some I mean, si- and there were some situations where uh penalties were assessed like you know if someone who called an I think uh, offside mainly like I think if you ch- ch-
1: Right, but yeah. when they first introduced the coach's challenge there was no penalty for a failed uh offside challenge. Yeah, and then so, they had to introduce that cuz people were doing it all the time. Yeah. Um it makes sense. So and then here's the uh the Sharks, I mean the the Golden Knights shouldn't have allowed four goals on a major penalty <laughs> rule. <laughs> um referees are required to review all major penalties to confirm the penalty classification. Majors can be changed to minor penalties, but they cannot be rescinded altogether.
0: Okay. Um
1: which yeah like, I don't know.
0: But I think um, he, I think the interesting thing is that like this is this is a situation where the, the uh it's all situation room like it's
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I almost feel like there should just be a couple of guys in Toronto that review all major penalties like on a video screen to see what happened and um just take that responsibility altogether out of the referees that are out of the hands of the referees that are actually at the games. You know what I mean? Or have, like, one official up in the press box at every game that is just there to specifically review calls like that. But, I mean, major penalties aren't that common. And they're going to become even less common after this because it's just going to slow the game down, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, major and match penalties, again, they're not common.
1: They're not that common at all. I mean, you'll see one every four or five games, I'd say.
0: Yeah. If that. And, um, like... Yeah, it's interesting to see how, how that all works out. I think, yes, this this rule, you kind of got to it coming after, um, you know, Vegas complained so much of the fact that uh, it shouldn't have been a major penalty and everything like that. I mean, that. And like, it,
1: it was a tough break. I mean, you can go back to what me and Rob were saying in the immediate aftermath of it. But, I mean, you should learn how to keep the puck out of the net. I don't know. And I still disagree with the NHL officially apologizing to them.
0: Yeah, that shouldn't have been done. That
1: shouldn't have happened. Um, Okay, and then here's the final one. The uh, referees can rescind a double minor for high-sticking if it's determined the high-stick came from a teammate. (coughs) So, again, that's another reviewable thing. They're just adding more review to everything. Yeah,
0: I, I I think... The one thing that should be said, though, about all of these is uh, going back to the mentioning of the situation room. Is the situation room is, the, is it's it still it still holds true, but the situation room takes care of all reviews within the last what was it like five minutes of the third period and plus overtime? And then, like, yeah, that's definitely worth mentioning. So, like, if it if something was scored in overtime, whatever, and a, a coach can't really challenge it, whatever, it's all situation room. Um, and no matter what a situation room has over, like, precedence like president's over a coach's challenge, so like a coach challenges it and it gets reversed, situation room looks at it gets reversed again, and that's the final decision that's which is the- how it should be, yeah,
1: which is how it should be I mean, there has to be some sort of pecking order right
0: yeah, um,
1: the only thing that I don't like about all these expansions to the coach's challenges I mean I'm all about getting the right call as as much as you can, but you don't want to slow the game down that much. You know what I mean?
0: And I think that's why they made the, um, uh, when it comes to coaches challenge, the whole uh, penalty for unsuccessful challenges. It, it, It deters people from just wanting to make a challenge.
1: Right. And if you get two unsuccessful challenges in one game, you get a double minor, which is, that's a pretty strong deterrent, but it's, I don't know. But like requiring referees to review stuff before assessing a major penalty um, I think is a very clear and extreme step that was made, no question about it. I mean, we have the technology to do it now, right, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see how that all works out. I mean, a lot of times these rule changes happen, and you have to wait a a season or two to really see um, how good of a change it actually was.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting though about going back to the major match penalty one is um, this is the situation where it says the rest are provided with all available video to review with their own calls. So just, even then, it's still discretionary to them. Like they can make the call and says like yeah, it's still a major. Even right, and
1: at the same time, it seems like the goal of a lot of these rules, like you're saying is to give the referees more ability to review stuff and to take some of the subjectivity and some of the uh, error out of the game, right? Yeah. But in the same breath, the Board of Governors introduces a new the helmet rule, which I really don't like. I mean, let's read it again really quick. A player who loses his helmet will have to go to the bench or immediately put the helmet back on properly before participating in play. The only exception is an immediate play on the puck. That's the kicker right there. Because, I mean... Let's say you lose your helmet um, getting checked along the boards, right, and your team's in the offensive zone, right? Yep. And your team has the puck, but it's like the defenseman on the other side of the ice that has the puck and is controlling the puck. So you're not immediately a part of the play. You're not immediately by the play. But this rule would force that player to rush back to the bench or pick up their helmet and potentially lose themselves, lose be of no use to their team as an option to move the puck to while you're in the offensive zone. It, it, you not, see what I'm saying? And it
0: also creates a, a situation where that said player was down a man. and like Right.
1: It, so you're, you're essentially forcing a team to go down a man in a situation like that because he needs to go get a new helmet or put his helmet on. I mean, I, that's what I don't like about it. Now so, it, it. or Or you could get all kinds of gray area, like I'm saying, on how a referee could define immediate play on the puck you yeah. would get all sorts of subjectivity
0: honestly with that i i think it should it should be at the point where it says like okay yes that's the, that should be the case you know it's good that this rules in place for the safety of the players but the way to enforce it uh, i think they got to really redefine you know what the immediate play is or even just say all right you have like let's say let's give like 15 to 30 seconds to to take care of it or whatever like
1: I don't know I, um, I, give, I I'm not a fan of it because I think that it could result in a bunch of really awkward situations
0: yeah, I mean give them time obviously like
1: and if the helmetless player makes a- a play on the puck, it will result in a minor penalty
0: I mean there's a way to technically there is a way to uh kind of there is there there is a loophole in that is the term play is on, the, the term play on the puck. Like right you, and
1: f- that's all subjectivity that's a huge gray so, area that it's just up to the ref's best if, judgment
0: if a if a helmetless player makes a check on a player who has the puck and his teammate makes a play on the puck is that legal i don't
1: know we'll see like, but the chin strap does not need to be done up in the case of this rule i didn't know so they just that earlier. they just need to get it on they seem to get it on, which I think is—I don't know—I'm not—I'm not a fan of this. That makes at all. it
0: easier, but still, there's a lot of weird things going on with that.
1: It's all just the, the NHL Board of Governors wanting to make sure that guys don't get hurt because guys are worth a lot of money. You know, if you lose a guy for an extended period of time because he didn't have his helmet on, it's bad for the team. I get it, um, but I just think that this is going to make play in the few in the situations when guys get their helmets knocked off. I think this is just going to make the play a lot more awkward and you're going to get a lot more controversial calls from a penalty that for a rule that has so much interpretation built into it. Yeah. That's my opinion of it. But anyways, I think we can talk um I think that's it for the rule changes. Um we should probably talk about the salary cap. There's a couple of teams that are in trouble.
0: Yeah. Um uh, I mean, first let's mention the fact that uh, back in, I believe it was like December or at, at around the All Star game. Actually, it was it was announced that the salary cap for the next year was expected to be eighty three million dollars, and it was announced that uh, a couple of days ago that it might be closer to eighty two million dollars, and it makes a difference now. Um,
1: well, that's really going to squeeze teams like Vegas. That's really going to squeeze teams like Toronto. Um, I have no idea what those two teams are really going to do. I mean, the, if the cap only goes up to 82, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to be $1.1 million over the cap.
0: Yeah, they have 12 forwards, six defensemen, and one goaltender signed um, at a $83.1 million uh, cap hit, which is, again, over the limit. they got to move... They gotta move contracts around because they're kind of screwed here.
1: Yep, they are. They are. Uh, um,
0: because they cause right now one of their unsigned forwards is William Carlson, and he is due for a decent amount of money. Um. So,
1: Brandon Peary, I thought was good when he was in the NHL. I mean, he split time between uh, Chicago and uh, Vegas. Yep. Um, the Chicago Wolves, that is not the Blackhawks. Um, let's see what he did last year. Yeah, he had forty-two points in twenty-nine games in the AHL last year. Eighteen and thirty-one with the Golden Knights. Um, he was a good contributor for the Golden Knights. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, so he, I think that he should get re-signed. I mean, they might not have the money to re-sign him, but
0: a lot of people are saying one of the. Major guys, as in the people in the in that like top six forwards. One of them's got to be moved because that's a lot of money right there.
1: Well, who do you move?
0: Let's see. Let's look. Alex at, Tuck.
1: He can. He's be... the only one that doesn't have a no movement clause.
0: True. Yeah. That's because that's and that's four point seven five million dollars right there.
1: Right. Which probably. Carl William Carlson would he would take beat that, that up in a second and some yeah. plus some.
0: So that already that that solves half a problem. They're still over the limit.
1: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Now
0: what's what what um, benefits them is the fact that um, once July first hits, the limit. Of the off the the so called off season limit, I think is like ninety million. So like they can be over by by, by about ten million dollars during the off season and,
1: and figure it out on the fly.
0: Yeah, but they have to. But they have to figure it out. I think as they get to like uh, once the once the preseason is over.
1: I mean, and they have quite a bit of flexibility too in terms of uh, draft picks that they can shell out. Like they could send away one of their guys in a cap dump plus like one of the three third rounders that they have this year, you know, just to sweeten the deal a bit. And they also have three fifth rounders um, and a pick in every other round besides actually, no round six and seven. They, they do not have any picks, which is weird. Yeah. So
0: um, things um, get, a lot of things got to be moved around. Um, cause yeah, they, I don't know exactly how it's going to work for them. Cause, um, cause the. They are spending right now over $49 million on 12 forwards. And that doesn't include William Carlson, um, Brandon Peary, or Nikita Gusev, and Thomas Nosik.
1: The good thing for them, though, is that... Their situation on defense is pretty good right now. There's st- nobody that- really that's due to get a bunch of money.
0: Yeah, that's stable because there's only one unsigned defenseman, and that's a thirty seven year old Derek Englund who's just gonna leave.
1: Like Yeah, probably.
0: Um, unless he decides to take a hometown discount at like the veteran or, or not I would say, at the NHL minimum, but like why? Like
1: Yeah, no. He won't. Like he's a player um, that wouldn't. And then Not to mention, Malcolm Subin needs a new deal too.
0: Yeah, like yeah, a goaltender. They need go- they need goaltenders. So that means like two forwards have to be moved. And like and at that and what's high.
1: what did Subin make last year? Let's see what Subin because he's going to be due for a raise, no question about it.
0: He's going to get a qualifying um, offer probably. He is all arbitration eligible, so that might be a challenge.
1: Um, right, and last year, okay, the AAV on. Really? His entry-level deal was actually – had a higher AAV than his uh, most recent deal, which I think is interesting. Um, yeah, the AAV on his previous contract was 6 point um, – not six uh, hundred fifty thousand. So, I mean, he's been good for the Golden Knights as a backup goalie over the last couple of years. He played 21 games last season, 22 the year before. Uh, two ninety-three goals against average this year, nine hundred two save percentage in the previous year, two sixty-eight goals against average, nine ten save percentage. So he's been a very serviceable, very good backup goalie for the Golden Knights.
0: I can um, see, I can potentially see, um, like two two million. Yeah, two million, two million, maybe a bit less, but that's about right. Um, I
1: mean, he's played quite a few games for them, and he's been good. So I don't know. I it's definitely more than a million, um, for sure. So I mean Subins get I, I can it does look good for the Golden Knight. Somewhere between
0: one point five to two. Um I,
1: I feel like that's about right. And if they overpay him, then I don't know. All right, I don't so know, we'll see. I'm looking, George McFees gonna have to move some stuff
0: around. Yeah, I'm looking for sure. back at the top forwards. Um Marshall's Smith, Stassi, and Pacioretty all have just modified no trade clauses, so
1: they can submit like a list of like ten teams they won't go to or ten teams they will. Yeah, and then they'll make a deal. That
0: is. But let's look at the cap hit and see whether or not that player is worth keeping. Marciusso is a five million dollar hit. Smith has a. They're $5 They're keeping million hit. him. Yeah, he's staying. Riley Smith, they're keeping. He's got a five million dollar hit. Stassi is six point five million. Pacioretty, they're keeping him. Pacioretty is seven million. And Stone is nine point five and they're keeping with Stone. a full it, no movement yeah, clause. So but they just signed him. Yeah, they just signed him, so there's no way. So Patriaretti, I can see potentially on the move. Because seven million dollars at thirty like, like
1: Well, I think that the Mark Stone contract's actually interesting. I just thought of it. I mean Mark Stone just signed this contract extension soon after getting traded to Vegas from Ottawa, right? And I mean, Mark Stone is a good player, but he's by no means like um, generational talent or like elite level. And he's getting nine and a half million a year. So I mean, wouldn't you think that Matt Duchesne's uh, price tag would be right around the same? Just food for thought for uh, over these next couple of episodes.
0: For yeah, sure. it's going to give, it's, it's, it's definitely, I think Matt Duchesne is going to use that as a baseline for when it comes to the negotiations with teams.
1: Yeah, I mean, no question about that. Um, So Mark Stone would have had 73 points this year in – how many games would that be? He wasn't a point-per-game player even, and he's making 9.5 a year. And that was his contract year. So that's an interesting baseline to use. I mean, Vegas has a lot of work to do. I mean, we alluded to this in uh, several episodes during the regular season that Vegas' situation – Um, Is going to be really tight in the off season, and it clearly is. And especially if the cap is a million less than what we thought it was going to be, it's going to be even tougher. Even if the cap was going up to like eighty five, let's say they would still have a tough time.
0: Yeah, because like uh, spending up up to the cap like that, how much money you have, like it really, really limits them with what. And they're going to have to dump somebody. Yeah, they have to someone big. Like someone, someone big, has to be dumped somehow.
1: Do you dump? You're not dumping Nate Schmidt. You're not dumping Shea Theodore. You Colin dump? Miller? Brayden McNabb? I don't know.
0: You can look back in the forwards again. Because I mean, Nate Schmidt
1: and Shay Theodore both aren't going anywhere.
0: Um, let's see. The other couple, um, those that are making a, at least a couple million on the forwards, you got Eric Hala, uh, Ryan Reeves, and Cody Eakin.
1: I mean, yeah, you could trade away Ryan Reeves for a team that's looking to get a little tougher, a little harder to play against.
0: Yeah, or you can say the same thing about Eakin too, kind of. But
1: yeah, true. But Ryan Reeves is probably one of the toughest players in yeah, modern NHL. Uh,
0: he is. Uh, he is still like a classic goon.
1: Yeah, he's right up there um so let's look at toronto that's, uh, one th- that's gonna be that's the big one yeah
0: but before one thing i will say and i think this is something that could potentially happen is um because i'm looking because i do have a guy on the injured reserve david clarkson
1: i don't think he's counting towards the cap right now because well, i he's, think he's on the ltir is he
0: on the ltir right now
1: i think so but like
0: all right so it does count towards the cap but that mean, but the team can go over the cap if they are on the LTIR, if that said player is on there. So that's how it huh. is. So it still looks like they're over, but they're allowed to be just because they have a, a player whose cap hit is on the LTIR. So. Yeah, who
1: did Toronto trade away their first round pick to? Oh, for Jake Muzzin. That's what it was. Yeah, that's
0: what that one was.
1: Yeah. Um. No, yeah, okay. But, I mean, Vegas has some work to do. We'll see how that goes. I mean, like Rob said, we're going to be doing quite a few episodes heading up to the draft. So, I'm right. sure you'll hear something coming out of Vegas because work, plenty of work needs to be done. Yeah, the
0: draft is tonight. So, we'll see what the happens with uh, – because there's going to be a lot of movement when it comes to draft picks. Vegas might make a lot of moves tonight when it comes to trading players for picks and trying to move cap. So, that could happen tonight.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then Toronto, um, we obviously can't not talk about them for a second. They're you know in what a mean? very
0: interesting situation as well.
1: So um, right now they have $7.7 million of projected cap space. They're, okay, so let's say the cap goes up to $82 million, um, which is what they're projecting it to be now. Um, Toronto's going to have just about $8 million. Yeah, just under $8 million. Uh, like the website says.
0: They have uh, ten forwards signed, uh five defensemen and two goaltenders. So the goaltender's not a problem.
1: Andres uh, Janssen is gonna be an RFA. He was good for them last year.
0: Kasperi Kapanen uh, is an RFA.
1: Twenty goal scorer. Yeah. Andreas Jansen was a twenty goal scorer. Twenty goals, twenty three assists, forty three points. And of course so I mean
0: we also have Oh the big one. Yes. Mitch Marner. And
1: he's worth at least Matthew's money. Yeah. I mean, Leafs fans that think that he's only a $9 million guy a year are delusional. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's at least worth 11. I mean, Marner was the highest scoring player on the team. He led the Leafs in scoring last year. I think he's their best player personally. I'm not just saying that because I like want, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I think he's their best player personally. 94 point season, 26 goals, 68 assists. Um I think he's the premier playmaker in today's NHL.
0: Yeah, so he's in due my for opinion. A, he's due for a big contract at this A big point.
1: contract at least in the order of 11 million. Yeah,
0: and at this And they point, don't even have
1: enough for that.
0: Yeah, they can't afford it right now. Um, they
1: can't even afford just Marner's contract and then add to that all the other people they have to resign too. So Cause you can't have an empty roster.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things to solve that is, you know, they're talking about moving some guys. Of course, the most well-known guy that they're try- that is rumored to be moving is uh, alternate Captain Patrick Marlowe, uh, 39 mm-hmm. years old, has one year left in his contract worth $6.25 million. He has a 35-plus contract and a full no-movement clause, which... Uh, can be so he weighed. can shoot
1: down any trade offer. Yes,
0: and here's the interesting thing: is um, this is not a matter of if; it's a matter of when he gets traded, because uh, his uh, it, like it's already pretty much well known. It's like it's like p- public knowledge that his family is moving back to San Jose, um, and the uh, Patrick Marlowe also put up his house in the Toronto area up for sale. So it's public knowledge. He's leaving. Um,
1: Where does he go though? Where are they going to trade him to?
0: He wants to move to an area. So the, the initial, the initial information was he wants to move back closer to his family. Of course, as I said, they're moving to San Jose. Um, West coast. So west coast with the biggest three names on the market for the interest we're the Los Angeles Kings, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Arizona Coyotes. And I don't
1: want them to go to the coyotes. the coyotes like that right the
0: now. coyotes can't do it. I thought you know, I thought at first it'd be kind of nice, or whatever because you know it just kind of of a more personal aspect for me, but it doesn't it just doesn't work with the way the coyotes are working right now.
1: Well, the coyote, the coyotes don't need to be adding veteran guys to uh, take up a bunch of cap space. They're not at that cycle it's a, right now as a well, team. They're shoot. a team. The coyotes are a good young team that is looking to exit a rebuild and start contending and start making the postseason. I don't think Patrick Marlowe will help them.
0: So here's the interesting thing that that uh, that makes this uh, makes it an interesting kind of bit of news. The the talks about the talks with the Maple Leafs and the Kings have fizzled out because apparently the Kings were asking too much from the Maple Leafs. Um, so probably asking for uh, not only retained salary but also a you know a premium asset, probably like you know the negotiating rights to uh, one of their players or whatever. Andreas um,
1: maybe. Andreas
0: Johnson, maybe Casper Yapanen too. Um, but yeah. And, and apparently now, then a couple days later, it says it's rumored that the Coyotes were asking for a premium asset in order to take on Patrick Milo's contract. Um,
1: so that means either Janssen or Kapanen. Yeah, either Janssen if, if or If you're talking premier uh, asset.
0: Yeah. Um, and then the... Uh, the Avalanche kind of fizzled out in a way where they're not even in the news anymore. It's kind of just like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen because it's still kind of like in a weird on a weird side of um, of the U.S. when it comes to his proximity to home. And then, a couple what of days. What about Anaheim? I don't think Anaheim will like. I don't, I haven't heard of any interest in Anaheim at least right now.
1: Okay. Um, Sorry, continue.
0: So then, a couple days later, a.k.a. just like on Wednesday, Patrick Marleau uh, was rumored to have told the Maple Leafs he will not go anywhere except San Jose. Really? Yeah. So... Uh, How's that going to work? Here's the interesting thing. San Jose said we are aware that he wants to make a return to San Jose. However, that is on the back burner because we have to focus on signing our key guys first before we can even consider taking on a contract like that or even doing whatever we can to do that. Of course, you know, they'd, they'd love to welcome him back. He is, He's Mr. San Jose Shark, but the $6.25 million, it's hard to swallow. Um,
1: Well, not to mention, I mean, we spent probably, I don't know, 15 minutes just talking about all the guys the Sharks have to resign, all the money they have to move around.
0: So, um, everyone was saying, if Marlo wants to return to the Sharks, here is the set of things that has to happen. And I am on boat of someone someone saying, I can see this happening, I, I can see this the case, and only this works. I can't see anything else working and that is Patrick Marlowe is traded to let's say the Ottawa Senators so, and the Senators buy him out just so you know go to the just so they can reach the cap floor or the salary floor um and then so that makes Marlowe a free agent so he can sign with with the Sharks at the minimum and that's it
1: so so how Wait, so ex- explain how him going to Ottawa would make him a free agent.
0: If Ottawa buys out – Ottawa takes him and dumps oh, the contract. Oh,
1: Ottawa would have to buy him out. Okay. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. That's – I yeah, I don't know.
0: That's the only way it works because that's the thing is –
1: so you'd have to get like a three-team deal going. That's what would have to happen. Yeah,
0: because the Maple Leafs want to get rid of him right now. They need, like, they need to dump that. Con- they need the Dumbest contract to make space, and that's the only one that. Even if they dump
1: his contract, they're still in a brutal cap situation. They only have five defensemen signed next year.
0: Yeah, even then, like that. That that's that's just the start of everything. Um, like it's big. This is a lot. It's, there's a lot of weird things going on. Um, and what's funny is there's a lot of people really torn. Like there's there's a group of Sharks fans who don't even want what I proposed to happen, because they says no because he's too old, he's not gonna do anything to the to the Stanley Cup run or anything like that. It's just not worth it. And, and I can, I get those concerns because you know at 39 almost 40 years old, there's some problems. You know my argument was my argument in favor could be. Look at this guy. He's in, he's incredibly healthy. So, um, like I found out, he hasn't like I read that he hasn't missed a game a single a single regular season game since oh nine. He didn't hit
1: twenty goals though last year. I mean, it was his first, I,
0: if, it was his first sub forty point season in like over a decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's all that history in San Jose, but if I was I, working I, for the Sharks, if I was the GM of the Sharks, I I wouldn't want him back. Oh,
0: Doug Wilson is not gonna just take him, you know, just like, hey, we want, you know, for for nostalgia reasons, come back. That's not gonna happen. Because again, Timo Meyer has and Kevin to make sense. Like it has to make sense. It has to work. There has to be working parts, and it has there has to be just something that, um. Yeah, has to be. Is there any
1: chance? Is there any chance he changes his mind and says, "Okay, I'll go to other teams"?
0: I don't know because he wants to at least again, like, like at first it was saying that he wants to at least come closer to home. Right. Um. So that already limits to a very few amount of teams. Again, Arizona, Los Angeles, LA, LA, um, not Vegas, uh, Anaheim, not Vegas. They don't have they they, that can't work no matter what. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um and uh Colorado, Vancouver. Like that's it. Like really.
1: Um Yeah. I'm too far at that point.
0: Yeah, Vancouver is even a bit far. Like
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Like we'll see.
0: Again, there has to be a team that just wants to dump his contract because no one's gonna take that like no one. In the, like, on the cap spenders, they're going to want to take a contract like that.
1: No. And, um, the Coyotes need to, like, go out and sign somebody like Matt Duchesne. I mean, we'll get into that on a later episode. Um, and, uh, but, I mean, yeah, the Marlowe situation, that's going to be an interesting one to monitor going forward. We'll definitely see some movement later tonight. Um... But I think that I think that's all there really needs to be said about that. I mean, at this point, we're just speculating.
0: Yeah, it is, it is all just speculation. Um, I'm in, I'm really interested to see how it all works out because I am. It's a really, uh, it's it's a very touchy thing because again, it's Patrick Marlowe. Like he was like my original one of my original favorite players on the team. Um, Yeah, I get it. I mean, I
1: had similar Uh, feelings. You remember when they were rumoring Datuk coming back from uh, the KHL? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like, oh, maybe he signs for one year in Detroit. Let's see if he comes back to the Red Wings. And now he's staying in the KHL next year. So I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah,
0: I was was even thinking of, like, the hypothetical of, you know, he plays, he plays in San Jose, whatever. He plays somewhere here, like close to home, whatever. And uh, his 1700th game is a game I can go to because that's going to be a big game no matter what. But that's all contingent if, if you find a team to play for in the next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's just look at what LA's cap situation even looks like really quick before we move on to the next thing. yeah. Because you said the talks fizzled out. They have $13 so they definitely could stomach his cap hit. But they do have three RFAs, including Adrian Kempe, who's actually a guy that they're going to want to hang on to.
0: The Avalanche actually can't afford it. They can't? They can. They can, really? Kind of. Because they have a roster size of 13 right now, so they have a lot of guys to sign. But a lot of them are RFAs
1: are any big money RFAs or not really
0: um Sven Ghetto, Alexander Kofert, um Vladislav um Kamenev, JT Comfort and Miko Rantanen. Miko Rantanen is going to be huge. Yeah. But they have right now their current cap space is $36 million.
1: Yeah, and Ranton is probably getting 10 at least.
0: So, that is a potential cuz like the other guys that could probably qualify offer, they want to pick up Marlowe. That's a that it works. I think that's that's best case scenario probably for Marlowe.
1: Yeah, that is. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how the Sharks handle it. So, do you want to rattle off the uh season openers to uh um wrap up the show?
0: Yeah, I mean uh go bring that up cuz i have a, a lot of tabs open here
1: yeah so, so do
0: i so yeah a lot of a, a lot of the uh the nhl show has announced all of the uh home openers for every team um in the league and uh it's all interesting a lot of interesting i, I don't think we can say we can say every single one um but I think what we could probably do is... Let's probably just mention the Pacific Division ones, because, you know, it's this is the sure. ones we are. So, the Anaheim Ducks will open the their home season on October 3rd against the Arizona Coyotes. So, there we go. Makes it easy for us. Um, on the 5th, the Coyotes will open their home season against the Boston Bruins. Mm-hmm. The, on the 5th, the... Calgary Flames will be opening up against the Vancouver Canucks.
1: Okay, so two Pacific Division teams going at it there.
0: Yep. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Here we go. The Edmonton Oilers on the second against the Vancouver Canucks. We have the LA Kings will open up on the 12th. That's pretty late for your home opener. For sure. Against the Nashville Predators. And then, and... all right, on the other side here, we have, if you keep keep scrolling down here, the San Jose Sharks on the fourth against the Vegas Golden Knights. The Vancouver Canucks on the ninth against the LA Kings. And the Vegas Golden Knights on the second against the San Jose Sharks. All right, then. Uh, what I find interesting, and I'm pretty sure you, you heard the same thing too, October 2nd, no, co- Vegas versus the Sharks. October 4th, Sharks versus Vegas. Back to back.
1: Yeah.
0: They want to that- be
1: some fireworks in those games oh, for sure. The NHL man. wants to hype up that rivalry so much.
0: It's the only one that makes sense right now for a good rivalry. Like It's it's kind of unfortunate. In the cause, Pacific. Yeah, because it's kind of unfortunate because, you know, the Kings and the Sharks always had that great rivalry as the Kings and the Ducks and the Kings and, and like, the Ducks and the Sharks and, you know, the, the Battle of California. But not to mention everyone really – like, or at least people here in the Southwest really wanted the Coyotes to kind of be that rival with the, the Golden Hey,
1: kings. I will say, though, that with the cap space the Coyotes have and now having the money – from a new owner, they will, and given given the decline of the Kings and the uh, and the Ducks, I think that the Coyotes actually have a chance to become legitimately become. I know I say this every year, um, uh, the, one of the top three teams in the Pacific. Yeah, along with the Sharks and the Knights, obviously.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, um, as we're saying, the Ducks on the decline. Um, we didn't really mention this, but we can just mention it briefly um Corey Perry bought out by the Ducks um big time Not
1: a surprise. I mean, he's had a really tough time on the injury front and they needed the money.
0: Yeah. Um and it's 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 uh next year's cap hit's going to be big for them, but hey, what?
1: I mean, they're going into full rebuild full rebuild mode right now anyways. I mean, they're not looking to um to spend up to the cap every single season this yeah. year, you know? Yeah. And over the next couple
0: Actually, speaking of which, we can actually make the Ducks as part of a closing topic, something I didn't put on the rundown here, just, I guess, as a way to kind of um, talk about it, because I guess that's something I wanted to talk about and I didn't put on, is their new coach.
1: Yeah, Dallas Eakins. Dallas Eakins, good for him. He got the uh, the promotion from the AHL club. He worked with a lot of the young players. I mean, they're a rebuilding team now, so they're going to – be doing a lot of work with the young players the young players are going to be coming up getting chances in the nhl so i really like the hire
0: i thought what he did with with the goals was phenomenal obviously you and i saw saw it live because the goals would come to tucson so many times when you cover the road they runs. were a re-
1: always a really well coached team their games were always competitive they were always a solid hockey team with dallas Eagans behind the bench
0: yeah and then um that makes it just makes it easy so because so the young players know dallas Eagans. they know how he works. So, so it's going to be it's going to be good i think you know the of course the ducks are going to still not going to be a competitive team for a couple of years but i think give them yeah give them a few years they'll be back to being competitive again
1: yeah we'll see we'll see how quick the rebuild goes i mean there's it's not out of the realm of possibility that they'll be one of the worst teams in the nhl um next season but we'll see how that goes
0: yeah the same can be said for a couple other teams in the pacific division but you know.
1: I think LA is going to be fine. I think if um, if Dowdy and Kopitar, both of which aren't going anywhere, and both of which are still relatively young, I mean they're not pushing like thirty five. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if both of those guys have good seasons next year, the Kings will still be competitive. I don't think they'll push to win really anything meaningful though.
0: Yeah. Edmonton's going to be in a uh, dangerous uh, area too.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And, yeah, it will be interesting to see um, if, with uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Because um, um, the Oilers got a, um, a new general manager and a new coach. Sorry, um, the,
1: the feed cut out really quick. What did you say? No worries. I
0: was, talk, I was just talking about the, the Edmonton Oilers and the situation they're in. They've got both the new GM having Ken Holland and a new coach with Dave Tippett.
1: Um, yeah, I actually really like both hires, um, you know, as an experienced GM
0: and experienced coach, like,
1: which is what a team that has had nothing but instability over the past decade, um, needs right now. You know, I don't think that the Oilers needed a hire like a hot new young GM that everyone's talking about. That's up and coming. They needed an experienced guy like Ken Holland, uh, that's been around, has the contacts, knows how to you know, provide an organization that kind of stability. Um, I think that's what the Oilers need right now. They need someone that's going to not do anything drastic, you know, add the right pieces when he can. That's what I think Ken Holland's very good for that team.
0: He does have his work cut out for him, though. That's, that's, oh, he sure.
1: does. That's... He does. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the draft.
0: Yeah, it will be interesting to see that.
1: Um, I don't know. I think that'll be it. I mean, Rob and I will be probably tweeting during the draft, so you guys can uh, follow that along as it goes. Um, and uh, I think that I think that's it for today. We'll talk to you guys next time about RFAs. That's what we have on deck.
0: Yeah, our next our next episode will be sometime early next week. So we're probably talk. We're probably aiming for somewhere between anywhere from Sunday to Wednesday. It's all about our availabilities. We will talk about uh, the. Upcoming with restricted free agents, contract negotiations, potential offer sheeters, you know, stuff like that. Um, Lots to talk about. And then, of course, later in the week, we'll talk about unrestricted free agents, followed by our annual free agency live. And that will be our last episode of the month. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to having these next few episodes over the next, you know, 10 or so days. And it's going to be a blast.
1: Yeah, yeah, it sure will. Um, All right, so we'll see you guys next time.
0: All right, thanks everyone for listening.